Hello friends, welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Alex Roeder, CEO of J2 Innovations, a building controls and integration software company out of California and owned by Siemens. We talked about the democratization of controls technology, Alex's definition of a true software platform, and whether or not he sees the App Store concept taking off in the building space. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with J2 Innovations. Hello, Alex. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, Yes. Hi. Nice to meet you, James, uh, again, and now on this podcast. Uh, My name is Alex. I'm the CEO of J2 Innovations. Uh, We're a California-based company providing an open software platform for smart buildings, smart equipment, and IoT. And now what this is all about, we're probably going to talk a lot more uh, throughout the call. I started my career in Siemens and work in the industry now for more than, I think it's 10 years, and always with a focus on transforming this in- industry digitally and also what impact this can make uh, to society and especially also to the environment. And yeah, before joining J2, I was VP of software and IoT for Siemens Building Products. That was my last job in Siemens. And then went to J2, was the first COO of the company, together with the founder and then CEO, Jason Briggs, who then after three years, three years after the acquisition through Siemens, left the company. And then I took over as the CEO. Uh, yeah, a little, a little bit about myself. I studied business. So to be honest, I really only came to understand the beauty of how automation software can make infrastructure more efficient later in my career. This hasn't maybe been my first plan. And also even more important, how yeah, technology can can create more energy efficiency and create a more energy efficiently running planet. And I have to also admit, over the years, my interest for the business side got a little bit lower and my excitement for the products and technologies started to dominate. You know, business will always be a key part for our partners, customers, for myself, uh, for the company, of course. Uh, but I found what really matters at the end of the day is the product, the technology and how it can create value for customers. And yeah, so with the business background, uh, but having become a technologist over time, and yeah, I'm really excited about being part of this industry and also for so long now and can't even think about moving into another industry by now. Yeah, it, it definitely bites you. You get, get the bug and you can't, can't let it go. Can you talk a little bit more about a sort of history maybe before the acquisition uh, a little bit? J2 was founded quite some time ago, actually in 2009. And it started really as a as a tool to make existing building automation systems more efficient, make the engineering easier, simplify things. Simplification is still today a very big part of the DNA. Of, and uh, the company evolved more, more or less as an R&D center. It was Jason, the visionary founder, together with a few others that co-founded the company. It was a team of great developers and evangelists, almost, almost like a like a technology incubator and less of a company that was heavily focused on marketing and sales and operations and professional services. So really a, a group of people that put the, the technology and the product first and yeah, build something phenomenal that gradually evolved from being just a tool that can optimize existing building automation systems into becoming its own platform uh, over time, able to do all kinds of different applications uh, in a building from from a more complex BMS to a simpler BMS uh, to also topics like plant management. And yeah, then um, the company grew technologically and found first partners. Uh, One of them was uh, the big corporate Siemens, but not the only one. And the DNA didn't really change in that time because those big companies, they said to J2, you know, con- continue to do what you're best in, uh, continue to build the technology, build the product. And yeah, we want to benefit from your innovation. We want to benefit from your creativity, from your 
different way of looking at the market. What you need to know is that the nice thing about J2 from the very beginning is you had a nice mix in the company. You had Jason, for example, who was a strong system integrator with his own system integration company, a big company in North America. And you had uh, people in the company that were very much focused on software, didn't know a lot about building automation system integration. And then you had people in the company that knew the market very well from the different angles and the trends. And, and so it became a nice mix of really, really a group of people that know software, understands digital transformation and what, can, what it can do to a building, but also with the down-to-earth view on, yeah, on the complexity of our market. I've often seen uh, people underestimate how complex our market can be uh, beyond just the digital stuff. And I think this company has managed very well all the way up until the point of the acquisition and hopefully continues to do so after the acquisition with a different focus or with a, maybe not even a different focus, but with an extended, with an extended focus. Got it. So if we think about the smart building stack, which I like to talk a lot about, it started as kind of like an overlay on existing building automation systems. And then Correct. now it's evolved to a more of a full stack, entire control system, plus the a platform for different applications. Is that right? Uh, yeah, kind of. So if you, if you take a, building automation system let's let's take the the, the, the big building first you have the the room controllers uh, you have the unitary equipment controllers you have meters everywhere and and then there's something that needs to be on top that brings all of these different things to the system level controllers and then the visualization which many refer to as the building management software so where we positioned in the stack we are basically the integration controller and the building management software in one. So we, we cover both parts um, of, of uh, both the parts in, in the stack and we do it all in one software, one engineering. We yet are only a software. We're only a software company. We, we don't create our own hardware. We don't build our own hardware. So either we run on a server or an IPC, something similar to a server, uh, or we run on someone else's hardware. We're hardware agnostic. We run on anything that's Windows, Linux um, based, and 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 therefore we take different parts of the technology also at different points in time, depending on what our customers use it for. Got it. And and I just I just wanted to clarify this. I, I know these answers, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure everyone yes. knows what technology we're talking about. So yeah. the software you're talking about is it like a like an operating system for one building or is it more portfolio focused? Yeah, very good question. And that's that's what many people confuse uh, with us actually. And we, we try hard not to have people confuse that anymore. We, we live on the edge, first of all. So we are focused on one building, on one building automation system and really taking in there the system level integration and the building management software case. Now, because we have beautiful graphics, we have nice data management capabilities because of Haystack tagging, which we also as a company co-founded as, as an idea, as a non-profit idea. Then people also use us above on the higher level and integrate multiple FIN instances or even multiple instances from, from other building automation systems into, let's say, one common view, whether it's a campus, or a fleet of buildings, but we traditionally really, because we run on the edge mostly and on the server, we come from the single building management, uh, yet we, you can expand also to uh, multi-building management, fleet building management, but we're not cloud native. We utilize the cloud for remote access. Uh, we utilize the cloud for edge management, we say, but we're not a cloud application. We're not there to, to do the crazy analytics or enterprise service business around the traditional building automation systems, we have rather redefined how traditional building automation systems should look like than to add something to traditional building automation systems. Got it. Very cool. Okay. So you were at Siemens before the acquisition. So can you talk about why Siemens, big, huge mammoth controls company, wanted to hire or acquire J2 Innovations, small software company in California? Uh, so... I can I can speak about this uh, quite well because I've been part of the of the group of people that has been the so so to say the acquisition team on the Siemens side, and uh, on the Siemens side the idea was um, I would say threefold. Uh, one was the technology 
Fin framework was utilized in an existing product already, the Zigo control point, uh, which is uh, a room a room supervisory HMI-based system and also a plant supervisory system running mostly on HMI, but also on a web server. So here Siemens already utilized our technology, the Fin framework technology quite extensively on a, on a key product that they sell globally into the market. And in somewhat Siemens felt that it's a good idea to make sure that the company maintains, you know, goes on. And, and that was maybe the, the, the security part. Let's make sure the company exists and, and can continue to perform no matter what happens in the future. The second part, was that also Siemens has understood, like every other company in the controls market, the mid-market is heavily growing. It's the more simple buildings, the more simple commercial buildings, the mid-market that is experiencing heavy growth. And, and we, with our technology, because you can we can take over different parts of the architecture, because we are fully browser-based, because we can run on a controller, we are very well fit for this mid-market application. And because we have simplified things, we have simplified the workflows uh, significantly, because remember from what I said in the beginning, this has always been our origin, how to simplify engineering and how to simplify operation in buildings. So we're strong in the mid-market, and that was the second reason. And the third was the, and, and this was also to a good extent my, my, one of my key points when I was on the Siemens side, uh, we wanted an independent company that can go independently to market and provide the technology not only to Siemens, but provide it to anyone in the market who has a sincere interest to utilize our technology and yeah, bring it into their own portfolio, bring it into their own stack and then bring it to market under their own brand, the OEM business. And, and this is where we also then become a platform play. We are able to work openly with the market and therefore also yeah, maintain creativity, maintain this innovation speed, but also get so much impulses from different parts of the market, get so much input. And that all comes along with the trust that every company has in us, whether they are maybe um, even a competitor of Siemens that they can rely on us to be an independent partner for them and and not not a department within Siemens and therefore the independence piece and that idea to really let the company exist in the open market with anyone who wants to work with our technology that's been really the third the third key strategic topic that Siemens had in mind. When when I think about like everything you just described, I think. It, it, it rings a bell to me, which is like, uh, you know, innovative controls company starts up, they do integration and a software layer, they get acquired by, you know, huge company. And I'm thinking of Tritium, obviously. So can you talk about the, the, the differences and, and the comparison to what J2 Innovations is and what Tritium is or was in the marketplace? So... Uh, that that part I'll, I'll probably skip. <laughs> I think I think with everything that I described, I talked about simplification. I talked about uh, how we are very modern technology that has been built just a few years ago. There's there's things that you can find in our technology you can't find in any other technology. It's not just about Tritium or J2. We believe we have our distinct, unique USP. Tritium has theirs and many others in the market also have their own. We really focus on the simplification piece on the one side and the great UI, great UA that comes along with it, the hardware agnosticness of it that we really don't want to push our own hardware into the market. We we we, we leave that to our partners, our OEMs, our customers, basically. And then if you look at it from an OEM perspective, what makes us so unique in the market is with us, you don't get a platform that is always the same, more or less, uh, with different nuances. But if you see how our customers have utilized the platform and how they have customized it, oftentimes you don't even know it's Fin Framework uh, because we give so many, so many options to to make it your own, to make it your own workflows and engineering, to make it your own color palette, of course, your own brand, anyways, but also to really bring in your own IP. And that's what we always say to our OEMs: look. You don't necessarily compete with any other OEM that utilizes our technology because eventually you have so many opportunities to be creative. Uh, you have so many opportunities to do your own thing with it that it's really up to you. It's a foundational technology for you to use. But what you then make out of it 
is is really your job and you can still be a company that is excited about their own innovation their own creativity their own ideas and and you don't have to force yourself into make or buy uh, you mm. can actually say i'm i buy and make and and that's where we really get a lot of positive feedback one one example is an equipment company one of the leading HVC equipment manufacturers in Europe comes from Italy is part of the media group from China. They have, they have already evolved the platform in their product IntelliPlan so far. Uh, they have started with what we've given them with the professional services deal, but then they have built up their own team. And to be honest, now I sometimes wonder when I see how far they've taken it. It's, it's, it's always positively surprising uh, to see how much innovation they have created on top of the platform. And and it's not anymore what it used to be in the beginning when it was just Fin Framework. It is really mm -hmm. leave it entirely planned. It's unique in the market, and it will always have its own use piece that can be sold. Cool. So, small technical follow up to that question, yes. which is like, yes. so where does Fin stop and their product begin? Can you talk a little bit more about that technically for that plant control use case? Yes. So, and again, simplification, because we know in the building automation world, everything can happen. Everything can be above everything and then underneath. Technically, you have the equipment that can be a chiller or an air handling unit, fan coil unit, distributed equipment. Uh, you have on top of that, usually the the, um, the controls, uh, the unitary controls, oftentimes that is also deterministic. So fast, high reliability processing. And yeah. then on top of those controls of those different equipments, this is where Finn is put. It integrates the different equipments in the plant room. It brings all the things together. It optimizes the whole thing. It optimizes the whole plant room. It gathers the data from the whole plant room, maintains it. And this is Cleavit, for example, with IntelliPlant has built lots of different applications for energy efficiency for maintenance optimization for better uh, user experience from the installer to the facility manager to maybe even an end user at some point in time so so it's it's above these primary controllers some call it there's so many different names for these controllers but i'm talking about the lower level controllers um that that yeah. most people refer to as unitary or primary and it's above that sometimes to bring it back to the bms so you, you might think now, okay, but then where's the BMS in this? So in, in some cases, there is a BMS, and that might then just coexist with the plant management solution. In other cases, the plant management solution maybe evolves towards the BMS uh, by taking over other, other parts of the building. In many other cases, we can talk about this later, there isn't the BMS, right? Uh, but there's still expensive equipment that produces or, or consumes a lot of energy, and and even even more so in this case, it's really needed to have something that brings an overarching view on all the different equipments and controls in the building. Totally. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet, but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Cool. All right. Hopefully that sets a good context for people to know <laughs> what we're talking about here. So before we hit record, you said, I want to talk about the democratization of building controls. And I, I love this, this topic. So I got a lot of follow-up questions. But first, can you just talk about what you mean by, by that phrase? Yes. So for me, democratization of Building automation or building technology starts with the challenge that we have today. There is, first of all, the challenge of climate change. Buildings are the biggest energy consumers in the world, something that people in your podcast probably have heard uh, many times already. And 
The other challenge is that if you look at most even commercial buildings, not just residential, let's talk really about commercial only, most of these buildings do not have a building automation system in place. That what many of our, many of us in the industry talk about on a daily basis is privilege to the big commercial buildings, to the big hospitals, the airports, but it's not something that is usually accessed by the smaller buildings, you know, the small school sometimes, or maybe small hospital, small commercial building. And sometimes not even about the size. It's also about the complexity. It might also just be a very big hospital, but a pretty old hospital. And so we think that roughly 80% of all commercial buildings, that's the number everyone discusses, do not have anything uh, like a building automation system. And for me, democratization means how do I get this into the other 80% of buildings? And For me, that doesn't mean we just enforce that through legislation by just saying, oh, you have to put in a regular building automation system now. No, we have today means with new technologies to simplify things dramatically, simplify our technology dramatically, both in the engineering, which is even more important probably initially, but also in the operation. So you don't need the, the highly sophisticated facility manager, but maybe just, for example, the math teacher who is also then taking care of the heating system in a small village, right? So we need to simplify things dramatically. And through this and other means, through utilizing the cloud partly, through utilizing smaller edge controllers instead of bigger servers, to just really bring building automation into the other 80% of buildings. And this is for me the main theme because I've believed always that digitalization had the biggest impact, not where it created the peak on top of the high sophistication, but where it actually made something accessible to everyone that was previously only accessible to a few. That doesn't want to downplay the peak innovation that's also necessary. We always need to do peak innovation always as well. And that's something also J2 does, or for example, Siemens does. But I think it's very important also to look at the other 80% and discuss how, we, how they can get access to building automation. That's for me, democratization of building automation. Yeah, yeah. And I love that word simple. So anyone that's read our white paper that we released in December about small yes. building controls will recognize like that, that <laughs> word. Yeah, you read it too. Simplification is what we need. And so I, I, in that white paper, I laid out all the different ways. I called it layers of complexity, all the different layers of if you were going to basically take a complicated building automation system from our bigger buildings and try to apply that to smaller buildings, all the different ways in which that's just too complex for the, that market. So I'd love to talk about how you guys see that simplification happening. And from what I've heard so far from you, it sounds like the ability to take a simple to use software layer and put it on a simple, small, low-cost edge controller is a good place to start. What, what else am I, how, how yes. else are you thinking about the simplification? So where we started was also the typical integration, just trying to, as J2, just trying to simplify the typical integration. The nice thing is that we spoke about this as a new technology. It hasn't been built 20 years ago, but it has literally been built as a platform five, six years ago. The nice part is Fin Framework, separated the backend, the server side from the client side. That means you have everything related to the backbone of building technologies on the one side of the technology, and you have everything customer facing on the other side of the technology. And, and we have started to build user interface concepts and implemented them with OEM customers where that user interface is dramatically different from what we know from traditional building management software. Traditional building management software always assumes a certain level of complexity to deal with. And because generally, general traditional building technology is not customizable to that extent, you basically have to give it out in the market like, like a Swiss knife. And we basically say, yeah, it's a Swiss knife underneath, but we can simplify it to be just one or two things by changing the user interface. So for example, let's take a simple school. You have uh, there a bunch of uh, boilers and, and, and pumps in the basement. Uh, you know quite well what these boilers and pumps look like. Uh, it's, it might be, there might be deviations with the manufacturer or with the, with the firmware version of the controller that's on the boiler and so on. But 
but it is predictable. And you also know what the facility manager will want to do with those boilers. What are the three, four key things he really wants to, he, she really wants to operate on versus what maybe an installer needs. So then we build a UI that, for example, in the engineering integration process, is just a wizard where it says, okay, how many boilers do you have? Oh, I have three boilers. And then our wizard asks you, okay, boiler number one, what is the controller underneath? What is the firmware version? Uh, what mode do you want to run it in? Oh, I want to run it in the eco and the high efficiency and the high comfort mode. Uh, okay, and then you go on and say, what other equipment? And then how many rooms do you have? Um, what do you have in the rooms? I have, I have uh, lights here in this room. I have here a meter. And then through going through this wizard, click, 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 you then just generate the entire building management system. And how does it work? It basically works through us building that wizard, but also through creating templates, which is something where we basically pre-integrate the devices that then a facility, uh, an, an integrator, engineer, or installer integrates on site. We pre-integrate this in the factory, in our factory, in our in our R&D center, and then it's very easy for the installer to perform that engineering job. Cool. And and just for people that aren't controls nerds, that is a huge improvement to the status quo, which is like you need a licensed technician that's been heavily trained in a certain vendor's tools to then use those tools to then set up the system in a sort of bespoke way, kind of like they're doing it for the first time each time. Heavy, heavy engineering technical yes. costs versus what you're describing is this boiler is very similar to this other boiler that we've already pre-configured for another building. And yes. we'll just apply that same template here and then walk the user through that with a wizard. Um, <laughs> wizards and templates <laughs> are the answer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the, the key here is those buildings, they don't see a system integrator usually. They see an installer. Yeah. on the HVAC side and they sometimes or actually always uh, see also an electrical installer so it's installers that do this business and installers have lots of competency about the mechanical equipment or the electrical side of the building but they are not trained for for software integrations they're not trained for the more complex engineering so by give by building those simplified wizards and templates we enable installers who are anyways in the building, who anyways bring in the big equipment, for example, the big boilers, to also perform that job. And, and this is the key. And this also, when we talk about democratization, when we talk about simplifying, it also means to enable a channel that is already going to those markets to basically yeah. implement those jobs and not to try to bring a different type of channel, the system integrator, necessarily in all the very simple applications. Yeah, yeah, that's important. That's an important point to stress is that just like you said earlier, when we're talking about technology, a lot of what we're talking about is for the biggest, most complicated buildings. Same thing with a, a lot of our supply chain players, as I call them, right? MSIs typically yes. don't play below a certain, you know, a certain uh, square footage of building, a certain portfolio size, typically. Down in that small building area, you know, smaller buildings, you're talking about maybe contractors that also do residential, right? They're yes. used to working exactly. with small, small split systems, heat pumps, you know, rooftop units, right? Yes. That, probably aren't networked together. They're used to putting yes. in uh, non-programmable thermostats and they're used to shopping at Lowe's or uh, like Lowe's in the US, right? So you're in Germany. There's probably yeah. an analog to Lowe's in, in Germany, but it's a totally different person that is then setting up that controller as well. That's, that's Absolutely. A, a key important point for that market. Absolutely. That, that's exactly right. The the simplification of the technology, first of all, enables it to go through that channel of installers and make this make those people be able to then still integrate pretty sophisticated technology, uh, building management software at the end of the day. And then if we take it on from there, let's talk also about the person who 
then manages the building if it's an airport or if it's a huge commercial building you've probably seen that also yourself you come in a room there's multiple monitors in a big building and there's there's someone sitting there who has a very distinct knowledge about the software that is running there and everything that's around the technical infrastructure and so the software can be complex and very feature-rich for that person because that person has it as a full-time job to make sure that the building is running in the right way. And I would also not say we can simplify things to that extent that all of a sudden managing an airport becomes easier than what it is today with the software that that customers get. Maybe there is some optimization potential, but it's not the dis- disruptive optimization potential. But let's let's go to the small school. It's 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 maybe the person who also uh, takes care of the the garden, who fixes uh, who fixes the blind, who maybe even runs classes, right? In, in small schools like in my elementary school back in Germany, it was this way that that the person that that provided the sport to the to the school sport teacher was also the one taking care of the facility. So you want to bring in a user interface for such a facility manager that assume that that makes sense for them. And and then the question is a different one. It's it's maybe not to drill down in every detail, but it is what's the status of my building? Is there any significant problem my building faces? Is there a significant alarm that I need to take care of? Do I need to call an installer maybe uh, to get this fixed? Uh, what is the energy consumed in my building? Is it on level with uh, typical other buildings at the current point in time or do i consume more energy and what could be the three four main reasons for that so i think also here it's the same as in our homes if we give more transparency to the more average user of a building also in bigger buildings like schools so non-residential like schools um, you don't have experts but if you give those people more transparency and more simple access to the information they can do a far better job in optimizing and managing the building correctly. I I remember two two nice anecdotes. One is in in France we we looked at schools and tried to understand what is their challenge. And one of the key challenges they had is they would during the summer break not turn off their HVC system. They would just forget to do that. They weren't aware they were running. They were maybe not running at full steam, so no one realized, but they were running silently. The other one was that heating and cooling were kept on at the same time and no one knew. So the cooling system was on. Okay, that's that was pretty obvious to most people because it was split units uh, blowing in the air, but the heating system was also on. And these are things, they happen because the technology in those buildings doesn't have the user interfaces that provide an immediate and more simple and integrated way to understand the situation of the building. So by making that transparent every day and for every building, you make you massively increase energy efficiency, even without talking about analytics or artificial intelligence. I just I'm I'm continually fascinated by that market. So anyone that's listening that that is also interested in the small buildings market, if you haven't reached out to me yet, I want to hear what everyone's doing. Super, super cool. Let's talk about platforms. So you've mentioned platform play. You've mentioned the white labeling of people like building apps for, let's say, plant controllers. Can you talk about what you mean by, I think a lot of people, and you and I have talked about this in the past, a lot of people throw around the word platform in this industry when they don't actually mean plat- like a software platform yes. to build other things yes. on top of it. So can you talk about what you mean by platform? Like what's the definition of a platform to you? Oh, that's a, it's a very tough one. I think it's essential that we start to start to agree what a platform is. I totally agree with you because the, there's so many different views. My my view, my my personal view is. First of all, a platform is something that is commercially openly accessible to some extent. So it's something that that people can get from different parts of the market. It's uh, something that is openly accessible. The other one that probably most people can more immediately turn to is it's technically open, meaning it brings you foundational services, it brings you foundational technology, and you can add on to it. So technical openness here is key. 
what does it mean practically? For example, our platform, it can integrate different systems. It can normalize them against the project Haystack standard. And then we have services on top of it for reading, writing, alarming, trending, and so on. But then you can build your own application, for example, your own dashboard that takes the data from here, takes the alarms into the dashboard, and then has a little command to put back an action onto the system. So platform means there's foundational technology and services, and others can build on top of it applications. So commercial openness and technical openness. And then platform is also a little bit about standardization. It's a little bit about reuse of common components. For example, because you say, I don't want to reinvent the wheel for everything as a, as a manufacturer of my own system. I want to utilize a piece of technology that someone else has built for me and others. And then really on that platform, start to create my own value add. So really also, again, tied to the commercial openness, the, the ability to bring it into your own system, to not reinvent the wheel, to not do everything three times. And this is something we have experienced in many industries before. We have seen it in the personal computer industry, where there is now, I guess, two, three platforms, right? Windows, Linux, Apple. We have experienced it also in the mobile phone industry, where there is two platforms, iOS and Android. In the building market, I think it will look a little bit different. I don't think that it's so clear cut because the building market is so heterogeneous. The use cases and the applications are so heterogeneous and different and the requirements are so different. But what's it will still have in common with the traditional platform play of other industries is you don't have to have every single company in the market rebuild everything from scratch. That is economically inefficient. And especially when you talk about new types of requirements and innovation speed, now you have now cybersecurity, you have cloud connectivity, you have new types of UX requirements, you need analytics. How is every single company always rebuilt this from scratch again? We would be the only industry left where this would happen. So I think also in our industry, what will happen is people will take parts of that and standardize it and make it usable for others. So also here, it's not about one platform. There could be a platform for data management and building management. Maybe that's where we are positioned with Fin Framework, but there could also be an analytics platform even on top of it or next to it that says, I give you standard tools to create your own analytics. There could be a platform that is just containerizing uh, applications on edge devices. So like also on, on an iPhone, there is not just one platform. iOS is the foundational platform of a phone. Then there's a Facebook platform. There is an there is uh, a LinkedIn platform. There are so many different platforms on platforms on platforms. So it's really always in the belief someone takes a lead, builds something, standardizes a little bit for the industry through commercial and technical openness and makes it available to others who can utilize it and then create on top of it their own value add. Got it. So you've mentioned so far, you've mentioned like the company from Italy that has white labeled Finn and created their own app, basically. To me, I'm still missing, like, is there an app store concept here where you can then install Finn and then deploy anybody's app that has already built that app on top of Finn? How, how does, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very good question. And we don't do that. And we don't do it because we we believe we understand the dynamics in our market and what our role is in this market. We are not trying to. That's where I said where the difference is to the to the personal computer use case or the the, the mobile phone use case. Mm -hmm. We're not here to standardize the world. The world is too complex to be standardized, anyways. We're not here to make us the platform and everyone else the ecosystem. We're here to bring a technology openly into the market that others can utilize. So they don't have to rebuild it themselves. Mm, that's yeah. for us, the foundation of our value. And that's also where our customers appreciate who we are. We don't even mandate to our customers that they ever say they, they work with us. So technically yeah. you might not even know, and therefore you would also not be able to go to some sort of an app store. So 
No, we don't have an app store. And uh, we're also not intending to build an ecosystem in that way. We're more intending to, to let's say, enable an industry to get faster to their success. Yeah, and that, that's a key, the key point on getting faster. Like, how many times have people reinvented the wheel on individual projects over and over and over and over again throughout <laughs> the entire world in every market? So like you're riding a driver to connect to the boiler you mentioned, or you're yes. riding a control sequence or like the template you talked about for the boiler, yes. for the guy yes. running the school, right? Yes. It's, we're, we're doing those things in, in silos all over the world right now. And so if we could all yes. just reuse <laughs> people's past work, that would be massive improvement. Yes. Exactly. And this, this is exactly our value proposition. Don't reinvent the wheel on everything, but also don't force yourself to just white label and also don't force yourself into a app store where you're just an app. We, we think that this is the most, the most valid and most fruitful way for this industry, especially also where it is today and what stage it is. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that has, we've reached the end of my questions. I'd love to ask you kind of, as we come out of, it feels a little bit like we're coming out of the pandemic. What are you sort of looking forward to moving forward in the rest of this year? Uh, so, I mean, we just came back from HR, which was nice, um, nice because people could meet in person again. I look very much forward to that. I think we've all learned to work remotely. That's fine but I don't think it will ever replace entirely meeting people in person. That's definitely the number one I look forward to from a business perspective, also from a private perspective, to be fair, meeting more people in person. Um, and also, by the way, we realized as a company, um, we have digitalized all our processes as much as we could. We've been always a company spread around the globe, almost being not so big, but still being very spread out. And this has worked well, but eventually when it comes to building partnerships with our customers, you know, long lasting, trustful partnerships, you need to see each other. You need to spend a day together. You need to have dinner together and breakfast together and meet again and, and build these relationships. And I'm really looking forward to to yeah, main, building more relationships and also turning the online relationships I have created over the last year and a half, two years, to turn them into real relationships. The real meaning in turning them also into offline relationships. That's what I I look forward to a lot. And then, of course, I look forward to J2 growth. We are a small company. We are really in, in the growth path. And I'm excited about this time that we're in i'm excited about yeah how this company continues to evolve and continues to grow in this market and if i have a question for you also coming from hr uh, i've seen so many uh, different things there are now also startup companies trying different different things new things which is great I, I i like to see the industry evolve also with new players so i'm just wondering how do you see that now um, and and why do you think that is happening now and and what impact will it have on the industry yeah it, it you might be the first person to turn the tables on me at the end of an interview here um so i'll i'll preface this by saying that i wasn't at ahr i had a another trip that i i went i went snowboarding instead full disclosure <laughs> to everyone we're in the middle of colorado peak snowboarding season right here so conferences are tough to tough to come by for me. But yes, I, I think I'd second that. And I haven't seen it, but I also track all the startups in the space. And there are... You know all the companies. No worries. You know all of them. I, I every, every single one of these companies I saw, I saw somewhat also in, in uh, on your yeah. blog and so on. So you know those companies. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's a, it's a um, gift and a curse, right? So we have... So much innovation happening, so much capital being raised, um, so much excitement. And at the same time, we have so much fragmentation, right? So it's really, really, really confusing to go shopping, as I like to say. If you're a building owner, you almost need your own smart building consultant, but we don't have enough of those. You almost need your own team. That's like you look at the biggest building owners out there. They have digital 
buildings people now they have their own teams and it's like well that's great that those companies are having that and we celebrate that and we want those teams to grow but also if we're thinking about democratization of intelligent buildings we need the marketplace to simplify more and more and more to make technology easier to buy easier to procure easier to decide on what to do, easier to install, easier to partner, like all of those things are really difficult. And I think that we in the Nexus community are solving a little tiny slice of that, which is just like, like network with people that are just like you and collaborate and decide how you're going to partner. If you're thinking about building something, maybe you could think about what has already been built that you could then partner. I think a lot of the companies right now that I'm working with that I think are on the right path, I'm winding down my consulting business, but I do a lot of consulting still and have done a lot of consulting. And a lot of what I say is like, Yes, I know you want to build that, but I can tell you there are 10 companies that have already built that like that thing <laughs> that you're trying to build, right? So let me introduce you to them. Let me like, get that conversation started yeah. and, and you guys can build yeah. what's unique and we can all kind of move forward from there. So interesting. I, I tend to push people in that direction and away from the, we're going to build it all approach and we're going to be yeah. a full stack approach so yeah. i think i think it's a gift and a curse i guess is the short answer okay good that that almost introduces us once again so and i agree with you it's the yeah it's a gift and a curse it's that's also what i thought you know there's there's a lot of money in the market not only in this market, but especially also in this market, because people start to understand the relevance for the bigger picture, but also just the opportunities that this market has. But that also comes with the need for people to educate themselves through the jungle. There's a lot of great ideas I saw, but but not not every great idea then finally makes sense in the building and others yet make a lot of sense. So it's good that we have people like you that try to educate the market and and point people a little bit more left or right so that they understand the jungle. Um, but finally, it is a jungle, right? So that's good in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're almost we're almost two years into this podcast, and I, I don't feel like I've fully educated myself yet. So we're still <laughs> still on the road to being yeah. educated around here. Um, I, okay. I'd love to hear one more thought from you, which is. When what we're seeing a lot of right now, and in fact, when this podcast comes out, the previous one will be about mergers and acquisitions. I'd love to hear from you, maybe not talking about Siemens and specifically, I'm not talking about Siemens, I'm talking about as a marketplace. When we see all these bigger companies snatching up those innovators, how, how, sh how, how should we think about this when we're trying to understand what's happening, right? Is because we're seeing big companies swallow them up and combine them into one company. We're seeing big companies swallow up startups and say, kind of like Siemens did with J2, you guys do your thing, keep going, right? How do, how do you think about the marketplace when it comes to these merger and acquisitions and, and how can it lead to more simplification, I guess? It's, it's a very good question. I, I, think, I think it really depends on the acquisition also a lot and what you buy. And and this is also where companies like Siemens, I think now smart enough to understand what they buy and what it needs to maintain what they bought in the first place. I think it's not a clear-cut answer. You you know, there's there's been a consolidation move in the industry triggered by a bunch of bigger companies over the last 10, 15 years. That has all, often led to let's say yeah just bringing in to create synergies um typical movement in the industry consolidation at some point because um there was a view that one company could do what three companies currently do so this one one case right then there is other cases where actually big companies start to even do incubators where they take parts out of their own company because they realize they can flourish more easily and more strongly when they are outside because 
every big company has a big legacy. And whenever you innovate, you always need to bring the legacy with you. And that's, that's also something the market requires. If you are a customer of a big company and you get a next generation product, you don't want to be told, oh, by the way, it's not compatible with your previous generation product and there's no migration path. You need that, right? So, so you need that, but then you need also companies that think a little bit more disruptively. What if I had a greenfield building and I could do everything from scratch? Different answer to a problem. And, and therefore that happens. And then also this is, I think, where where startup companies uh, fit in the place. And I believe that here, this is known to most big corporates, at least to Siemens, that with some of the stuff, it's important that you keep it a little bit outside, whether it means it's its own legal entity, its own company like J2, or whether it's its own project a little bit separated within the company. When you want to build something more disruptive and more new to the market, and again, that's not better than the other thing it's just different then it needs to be separate a little bit from the main ship otherwise it will have to deal also with all the complexities of the legacy mm -hmm. and that i can tell you from my own experience in my old job is a lot of work it pays off for the customer they appreciate it but it's a lot of work and the smaller companies wouldn't even be able to do that work and still be innovative so I think there's no clear-cut answer. And, and long-term, I can anyways not tell you because all my predictions on the long-term <laughs> have, um, have so far been either, either um, yeah, either things go much faster and stronger than you would have ever expected or they took way longer. Some, somehow, it's very hard to, to predict exactly what it will be like. But, but the direction, I think, is clear. Fascinating. So thanks so much. Alex, for coming on the show. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Good conversation. Thanks. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day. Thank you.